Hospitality Meets is brought to you by Rotacloud, the staff scheduling app for hospitality teams. Rotacloud lets you create and share rotas, record attendance, and manage your team's annual leave, all in less time than it takes to make a brew. It can also make life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotas, request holiday, and even pick up extra shifts, all through the Rotacloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Zoe Watts, Managing Director of Independent Contract Caterers, Bennett Hay. Coming up on today's show, Zoe demonstrates some Britishness. I'm just literally living by the weather forecast. Phil tells us his preferred party dress code. Lederhosen encouraged. And Zoe recounts one of her hair-raising stories. Oh, God, that was a nightmare. All that and so much more as Zoe chats us through her wonderful story so far. Having worked in some quite magnificent places, her journey is indicative of the diverse opportunity that exists in the industry. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to give us a subscribe, a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Zoe Watts. Hello, Phil. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. All good. Good because you are dressed up for business. <laughs> I know. I was. I'm at home now, but I was in. Um, I was in London today, and uh, I mean, talk about habit. I literally got up really early, got on the six forty four from my local station, and realised I had one meeting in London that I I could have done online, but I went in. You know, that's what I do now. I'm in pretty much five days a week, so um, right. yeah, I am. Dre- I'm not dressed for working from home today. No, 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 absolutely. And here's me with my hoodie on, all relaxed and, you know, coffee, chat, coffee chat style podcast. I was in a hoodie, but I'm not, so there. Oh, no, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, just, just tell the world what it is that you do. So I'm the managing director of Bennett Hay. Um, we're a London-based workplace contract caterer, so we specialise in catering uh, within some of the most amazing buildings in London. We look after catering and reception services. When we're growing, it's great. We're uh, we're one of the last remaining independent contract caterers, and we call ourselves boutique. But you know, we're getting towards twenty million turnover, so we're not quite uh, the small caterer now. We've got two hundred and eighty colleagues work for us across thirty eight contracts in London. Right. So, yeah. Right. Quite right. 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 Excellent. Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get on to, to talking about that in a bit more depth as we go through your journey. But uh, well, let's just kick it off. Take us all the way back. How oh did you get goodness. into hospitality in the first place? <laughs> uh, probably like the rest of us, by pure chance. I I was always going to be a nurse. That was, I think it's because my mum kind of told me I should be a nurse. You know, my brother was going to be a banker and I was going to be a nurse. There's a sign of the times. And uh, <laughs> so I was geared up to go, and, uh, you know, to do a degree in nursing. And um, there were two things that changed that. First of all, I was doing my Gold Duke of Edinburgh and I had to do voluntary work. And my voluntary work at age 16 was to go to the local hospital on a first thing on a Sunday morning and help out in um, a geriatric ward. Now, at 16, sometimes, you know, I'd been partying the night before. I didn't always feel 100% when I went into the hospital at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. And I soon realised that nursing was not for me. (laughs) So that was that. The second thing, equally as glamorous, I had a Saturday job at British Home Stores. Again, oh, I'm, God, I'm, I'm showing my age. I'm showing my yeah. age. But I worked on menswear. 
And the BHS in Woking had an incredibly busy coffee shop. And they used to get absolutely hammered in this coffee shop. And then it would be, you know, calling all the different departments to come and help clear tables. Well, everyone else, you know, menswear, those who worked in lighting and shoes, absolutely dreaded getting this call to go and help in the coffee shop. Whereas I, bizarrely, used to hope I would get to go and work in the coffee shop. And then I got transferred. So, yeah, a really glamorous start to hospitality. But those two things um, made me realise that, A, nursing wasn't for me, and B, hospitality, albeit maybe not in a VHS coffee shop, but I really liked going on pot wash. I really liked dishing up, you know, lasagna and uh, pouring filter coffee. And that was it. Here I am. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's been good to have you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, this is the this is the joy, actually, uh, for me of of what I get to do in, on this show is that that question always has always fascinated me because yeah. everybody arrives here differently, right? Um, but so many people arrive by accident. Um, yeah. It's unbelievable. And I think a, a lot of that sounds like as well, at that age, at least you had the opportunity to uh, qualify yourself out of something that you know you knew yeah. that being a nurse was not going to be for you. So let's get yeah. a shot of that. And um, uh, and then you're intrigued by this this thing over the other side of BHS, which is buzzing <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I know. And it's, you know, I think it still stands that I was never um, encouraged to go into hospitality. And, you know, there's a lot of us really working hard to promote the industry, because unless you actually experience it, who really is pushing for, you know, which parents are pushing for their kids to go into hospitality? Hmm. What education, you know, at secondary school, what teachers are pushing the children to go into hospitality we know and you know we know from working in it it's a fantastic career choice but if I hadn't had that experience no one was ever going to push me to go that route it just wasn't yeah. a done thing yeah and you know the, the sad thing about that is, is that the amount of conversations I have with people as well who talk about the fact that from a, a careers advisory perspective at school level it's still the same as well you know it's still not being demonstrated as a you know a, a, a wonderful career uh, opportunity because let's face it we're not all destined to be bankers you know doctors and you know accountants and all of that kind of thing although actually you can still do all of those things within hospitality in, in their own little weird way so it's uh, it still dumbfounds me to this day the you know, third biggest employer in the UK um, I think and yet why is it not taken more seriously I think there's an, uh, just a lack of knowledge about what it entails. And I think people just don't realise the scope that hospitality offers, the diversity of the roles and the specialisms that you can really pursue within the industry. Mm. Um, you know, it's still got the association of long hours, poor pay. And to an extent, you know, there's still areas for improvement there. But, um, you know, from my experience of working in hospitality and how my career has evolved over um, the many years that I've been working, well, I've only ever worked in this industry, you know, so how my career has evolved, um, you know, I think just shows how it can really flex with what's going on at home and in your in your personal life, you know, the job really can flex with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm guessing that at the age of 16, working in the, the BHS cafe, that you had absolutely no concept of the fact that one day you might become the MD of a boutique <laughs> uh, contract catering company. No idea at all. I've never, um, I've never sat down and mapped out my career path. It's just taken some very extraordinary um, routes, really. But no, I never, I never um, thought that. But I, I guess I've kind of embraced every opportunity that's come my way. 
you know, and, and here I am. And it's, yeah, it, you know, it's an absolutely delightful company to be running with two fantastic and supportive owners. So yeah, I couldn't have, I couldn't have um, wished for more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of those opportunities that came your way. So you uh, were at BHS and uh, what happened next? So I went to Leeds uh, Poly, which is now Leeds Beckett University, and I did a BA honours in food and accommodation management. Um, so that was a four year sandwich course. Great fun. There was a practical element, you know, in the first year where we we uh, learned some cooking skills and learned some restaurant skills. But ultimately, it was a, it was a business course with hospitality thrown in, which was great. Um, yeah. And then I, my third year, I took a year out and worked at uh, Forte Crest in Bristol. So, yeah, so I, I got um, the degree in hospitality, which, you know, stood me in good stead. Then going to work for Beefeater Restaurants on their graduate training programme. Actually, I only did that for a year because another opportunity came my way. But saying that, you know, working for Beefeater was such a good grounding in really understanding, you know, what an SOP is. Um, knowing that I could go and be assistant manager at any beef eater and I could just hit the ground running because, you, you know, just working for a brand like that and understanding, you know, consistencies in of standards of, um, you know, the management of the HR management and just understand and really having that first hand and that first time experience of what um, a sort of P&L looked like, people management, you know, there I was at 22 managing a team of waitresses who'd worked there for 40 40 odd years you know it had its challenges yeah. but really good experience so you know it, I do think working for established brands is always a really good place to start and then um and then was then from Beefeater was kind of my first move really into the heritage sector where I did stay for quite a while I went to work at the Savile Garden restaurant which is part of the Crown Estate in Windsor Great Park oh, I see running a very uh, seasonal restaurant, really busy, but, um, you know, operating the public catering within Windsor Great Park. And that was great. Uh, again, it was, you know, it was a really, well, it could have the busiest days imaginable and then it would rain and then it nothing. would be nothing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so learning of, you know, learning that flexibility when it comes to rotaring and, and food ordering and just literally living by the weather forecast was uh you know another lesson yeah. but that was great and actually and what other country in the world do you get to live your your job through the weather i know i know <laughs> but when the weather forecast was wrong either way you know you'd plan for a really busy sunny spring day and then it would rain and you just think oh no here we go Mm-hmm. um or or worse you know you you think um the forecast would say rain you plan accordingly and you wake up and the sun's out like no how can this yeah. happen the <laughs> so, only person in the world that hates the fact that the sun is out that day yeah yeah absolutely and then so I was assistant manager there and then uh got promoted to general manager so I don't know what I was 23 24 um when I got my first GM role which was the scariest thing that has it's probably the scariest point in my career, actually, that transition from assistant manager to general manager. Just know, ultimately, you know, that responsibility is now with me. And yeah. Yeah. And you did write this down on your, your uh, pre-show notes uh, around the fact that, because it is a question I ask everyone, you know, what is your scariest moment? And it, it's not something that we naturally or, or inevitably talk about on, on every single show. But actually, in your case, it seems like it, it probably played quite a large part actually in, in terms of how you move on next but one because actually if that is the scariest thing that's happened to you I mean that's not that bad 
really. <laughs> but at, at the time, in the moment where you think you, you, you must be thinking to yourself, oh, my God, I'm, now the buck stops with me. Am I ready for this? That was the best grounding ever for, you know, the the, the way my roles have uh, or the promotions I've had over the years. Because I remember at the time just thinking, you know, having this huge imposter syndrome. You know, how how can they think I'm good? I can possibly run this? But what was really funny, I remember my manager at the time who was leaving, and that's why I was offered the role. I had a bit of a meltdown with him, and I and he and I didn't get any sympathy at all. He literally just told me to pull myself together. I wouldn't have been offered it if they didn't think I could do it. And don't let the owners see that you're having any doubts. And that was it. I thought, okay, so that's probably one of the best talking tos I've ever had because I thought, oh my God, yeah, I better just, you know let them see that I you know I can absolutely do this but yeah that yeah, yeah. syndrome kicked in and actually to this day when people say oh you know what was one of your most enjoyable roles I think that was probably it just because at some point there was this light bulb moment and I thought oh my god I can actually do this this is going quite well <laughs> yeah. So, yeah 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 but yeah. I suppose up until that point you have these in- incremental uplifts in your career which you know one step to the next is possibly n- not that massive in the grand scheme of things right. from not supervising into supervising from supervising into junior management from junior management into next next up management and then into full leadership I, I suppose that is a you know that's that's that and for anybody who's just listening to this I'm now making gestures with my hands but it's it's a graph that goes up gradually and then when you hit that final step it's like a massive steep learning curve because so many things to think about not just the people side but you know the business side mm. of things and, and all of that as well and I think at the point, and it's not it's not even when you get to MD, I think at the point that suddenly you are part of the leadership team, that's when it gets really exciting. And or, or that you work within a company like the size of our business, where actually it's not just the leadership team, it's the it's the management team as well that have a, uh, are invited to have a say in the direction the business takes. That's when it really gets exciting, when you realise that you do have a part to play in the direction and you can, you know, you do have a voice and you get this oversight of the whole business, not just, you know, your department, which I've worked in a few larger companies and you are, you know, you, you stay within that department. You, you're a little bit privy to um, what's going on, but that's generally just through internal comms, not actually being part of the bigger picture. But mm. I think when you start to get that, um, you know, when you start to be invited to see that side of things, that is really when it, you know, it does get exciting. Yeah. And and as you kind of alluded to in that as well, is you know, you're thinking to yourself, I, I'm not ready. Why has somebody given me this? But again, something we've spoken about a lot on the show, where where do any of us get to without the people who see something in you that you don't see yourself, especially mm-hmm. at that time of, of your career? And I think, yeah, when those people do see something in you that you don't necessarily see yourself, those people, I think we have to remind ourselves, those people are absolutely gunning for your success. And, um, you know, they want to support you, they want to mentor you. And just ask, you know, or never, ever question yourself about asking for help, because um, they will want to be asked, especially if it is an owner of the business who clearly, you know, wants you to succeed. You know, no one wants anyone to fail mm. and just ask the questions. And that's, you know, I think 
advice I'd give to anyone. It's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength to yeah. ask for help. And, you know, I've got Robin and Anthony, our owners, who I turn to a lot. You know, they, they mentor me amazingly and it's brilliant. You know, I've only been in my new role a year. I've never been an MD before. So to have their experience, you know, why wouldn't I seize that opportunity to tap into their vast amount of knowledge, which is way more experience than I've got. So, mm. yeah, and absolutely. It freely and, you know, of course, they're delighted to, to you know, support me. Yeah, well, ultimately, your success is their success, right? Absolutely, I mean, that, that's, yeah. as you as you quite rightly say that you know it's very rare that you'd ever come across a situation where somebody promotes somebody into a role to take them down. <laughs> you know, they're um, they're trying to build you up. If they if they've promoted you into a role to take you down, that's quite horrible, actually. I'm just now going to try and rack my brains if I've, if I've ever heard of such a thing, which I don't think I have. But uh, so it's, it's it's a damn good point that you know you have to remember that that. Uh, and I spent actually the first five years of my serious part of my career was on board cruise ships. And I got promoted every year without fail while I was there for, for five years. And uh, each time I remember thinking, thinking to myself, what are you doing? Will you just give me a chance to learn this role? But everybody's like, no, no, you, you're, you know, you're, I was like a little puppy dog. So everybody was just like, you know, throw whatever you can at, at Phil. I'm sure he'll adapt. And I didn't see it that way at the time. But now I kind of, you know, I have to, I have so much to all these people mm. that saw that thing in you that, that I just didn't see in myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way my roles have changed, I moved from running the public catering at Savile Gardens and then Wisley Gardens to then um, moving into more of an events role. So my first role in London was at the Royal Society of Arts as general manager um, for the contract caterer who had the um, contract at the time. So that was sort of moving to running a, a venue as a GM, which had a bar and a restaurant, but a really thriving events business. So that was kind of my first foray into events. So I really had to learn the whole, and London, you know, London's very different to running the catering in Windsor and Guildford. Um, mm. So really I had to learn that. And then from there, I went to Tate and ran the events at Tate Modern, then Tate Britain. So, and again- God, You're dropping some names here. Oh yeah, well, why wouldn't I drop Tate, you know? <laughs> what Absolutely. Place. Um, <laughs> And actually, because you know, through working there, I'm going to do a, a plug for our Institute of Hospitality uh, London event that we are holding at Tate in two weeks' time. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's absolutely you know, what a phenomenal venue to be running events in. So yeah, I kind of moved into events, and then I think this is where I'm. I I do really preach about how a career in hospitality can just change with your personal circumstances. So when I was at Tate. I was at Tate when I had my two boys and realized that, you know, after returning from maternity leave, thinking, you know, I can't be running events at 2 a.m. anymore. And, uh, you know, it's just not conducive to having a young family. So that's when um, Tate were really supportive. And my role changed to running the public catering side. So more kind of more normal hours, you know. Um, and more Monday to Friday, really, just running that public catering side so that, you know, it absolutely fitted in with what was happening at home. So mm. I think for anyone, you know, it, it's an industry that can absolutely adapt with you and you can make it work, whatever your circumstances are. So, yeah. And actually, that's not something that I think is widely spoken about. I think the, the yeah. perception is, is that, you know, the, the hours are long, so it can't be, you know, flexible to to your needs as a, you know, whatever your your day to day needs are. But in actual fact, yes, of course, there's going to be some businesses that just and some roles that just require that kind of focus. But to find something that fits what you need is very, very easy. 
Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, the perception is that hospitality is seven day a week, you know, ridiculously long hours. But the sector I now work in, contract catering, we we specialise in workplace catering. So it's Monday to Friday. It's very rare that there's weekends. And that's why so many are drawn to our sector, because it is it's more sociable. Some people thrive on um, the seven day a week. And when I was younger, I absolutely loved working late nights. It didn't bother me working weekends. And it's a great, you know, that it, it's really good fun working in those environments and working and running those events. Um, mm. But, you know, it just didn't work for me longer term. And um, somehow I just fell into contract catering in, in, you know, which hasn't been any different to how I've sort of fallen into all the other roles throughout my career, really. Yeah. I'd like to say I planned it all, but I didn't. <laughs> no, but that, it, that in itself is just a wonderful part of the industry, isn't it? It's because there's so many parts to it that you, especially when you're starting out, you don't know all of the various different nooks and crannies that exist within the uh, the industry and so, one day somebody puts an opportunity in front of you that you've never considered before and you think to yourself well this sounds interesting maybe I'll just give that a go and see where that takes me and it is interesting I think um, whatever your area of specialism working with food and drink adds that added excitement to a role so um, my niece has recently graduated with a degree in geography and she's particularly interested in a career in CSR. And I was talking to her about how hospitality is crying out for CSR specialists to come in and look at every single element of their operation and put in ESG strategies. And I said, but it's really exciting because, you know, you're looking at food pr- production, food waste, you're working with suppliers. It's not, you know, you're not just... Um, looking at, um, not that there's anything dull about, you know, the dynamics of ESG within a office building, for example, but, you know, working with food, you're working on CSR strategies, all the people that work within catering. I said, you know, it's a really, really exciting industry to be delivering that CSR message. I said, you know, she's also sort of thinking about marketing. I said, again, you know, marketing within hospitality, you're marketing really a really fantastic product. You're marketing food and drink. You can really go to town with the creativity, think Mm. of all different um, ways of marketing it, the social media, you can have some real fun with that. So every area of specialism, you know, when you throw food and drink into the mix, who wouldn't love you know there's so much to it and even um you know if you even if you're looking at a career in accounts for example in a business of our size as an accountant or working in our accounts team you literally see the full picture on accounts from start to finish you absolutely see how a a company is run in terms of its financials you know you are overseeing every element whether it's payroll invoicing you know management accounts you're working with all the site managers so you get the whole picture. You don't just get one, you know, you're not just in one department within the accounts team overseeing a snapshot of the business. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, I think, the beauty of it. It's, it's just uh, the, the joy of the industry is boundless um, in terms of where you can find it. Um, if you're that way minded, I suppose, you know, the, the, if you're geared up to finding the, the, the positivity and stuff, then you'll find it in spades in this industry. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Five-star hospitality means having the right people in the right place at the right time. And that's exactly where RotorCloud can help. RotorCloud is the online platform that makes planning rotors, recording attendance, and managing annual leave easy. Its simple drag-and-drop interface lets you create and share rotors with your team in minutes. While our built-in budgeting tools mean you'll know exactly how much you're spending on staffing before sending the rotor out. 
RotorCloud also makes life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotors, request time off, and pick up extra shifts, all through the RotorCloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotorcloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. So, Tate, then contract catering as it were, how did that all come about and, and what happened next? Well, from Tate, um, I actually stayed within the heritage sector, but I, I went client side. So I moved to the Natural History Museum. Sorry, another, you know, a bit more name dropping yeah. there. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Natural History Museum and I was head of events, catering and filming. So I was actually managing the catering contract, um, managing the venue hire for all of the evening corporate events and weddings and also um, overseeing all of the corporate the filming so I worked for the commercial within the commercial team at the Natural History Museum so it was income generation so all the all the money we made from catering filming events went to support the work in the museum so yeah I mean you can't get more exciting than um running events at the Natural History Museum absolutely amazing and just that experience of managing the catering contract um was was great yeah absolutely is this or, or I suppose is it here or any of the other places? Because I've got I've made some notes as to stuff that I'd love to talk about, uh, which is really centered around some of the stories that, that you have uh, around somebody called Alistair McGowan. Because <laughs> I thought to myself, I didn't realize that I could bond with somebody over a meeting with Alistair McGowan. But I've also I've got a story about how, how I met him once uh, meetings with the Queen, Her Majesty. Yeah. Yeah. Over portioning, at, um, you know, at, uh, um, at an event as well. All of these things that mm. I suppose just happen yeah. uh, in the, the fullness of uh, of your career. But yeah, let's talk about the Alistair McGowan situation. Oh, God. That Where did that happen? Nightmare. So he was at the he was um, on stage at the Natural History Museum after a dinner there. And I remember he I was I was working that night and I I recall he asked me to take him back to the green room for a quick break before he was back on stage and I got him completely lost in the museum you know it's an absolute warren of corridors and basement and I've never been so embarrassed um when he turned around to me and said um do you actually know where you're going <laughs> I got the guy completely lost so I think by the time I realized where we were and I was in a completely different um wing of the museum to the one I should have been we had to turn around and I had to get him back to stay back to the stage so yeah you know, he, he never got his break, but yeah, it's a bit. Um, I'm normally was, quite. Was he all right about it? I don't, I don't know. I expect he had a bit of a moan about me. <laughs> yeah, because I, I met him, uh, and for anybody who's under thirty, you've probably never even heard of him. But he, he was a, a very, very. He was an excellent impersonator, uh, but then actually, I think laterally became quite a serious actor uh, as well, and did some stage work uh, in that regard. But random incident wasn't even working but I, I was at an event at a private members club in London and uh, the guy who I was there to, to meet ahead of the event said just go and have a glass of wine at the bar uh, and I'll come and find you when when we're ready and you know you can come through and all of that kind of stuff so that's what I did took myself off to the bar and then literally was ordering they had a beautiful wine list and quite an amazing by the glass wine list uh, as well and I was just I was spending my time looking at this in in awe and um, somebody next to me goes, oh, I can, if you're looking for recommendations, I can re recommend this particular Australian Shiraz. Uh, I noticed, he noticed I was looking at the red. And I turned around, it was Alistair McGowan. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I now know that uh, Alistair McGowan is, uh, is an Australian red wine fan. <laughs> oh, well, you had a better experience with him than I did then. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> Never expected to speak about that incident on this podcast, but there we are. Um, you bond over the weirdest things. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, when you look back, when you work in events, some of the stories about what's, you know, some of the most amazing events that, you know, a stage that you just can't quite believe, you know, the, the numbers of people it takes to create an event. And the thing is at the Natural History Museum, you know, the museum closed to the public at six o'clock. So it had to be such a quick turnaround to get the main central hall, you know, dressed dinner for 700 by you God, know, yeah. seven o'clock. It was phenomenal. Um, Military. Yeah, um, it was quite incredible. Yeah. Lighting, production, catering. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but these things become well-oiled machines, don't they? The uh, the very first day that I moved into food and beverage on cruise ships and was in the galley for uh, dinner set main dinner service. We used to do two sittings back then. I think they, it doesn't work that way anymore. But back then it was a six thirty sitting and an eight thirty sitting mm-hmm. for all of the passengers on board. So we would be ripping out five hundred meals in forty five minutes, wiping down and going again. Yeah. Um, and the first time I stepped in, I, I did. I thought how am I ever going to learn this? It's just, it's vast. It's, it's high octane. You know, there's noise everywhere. It's just this whole kind of onslaught for the senses. But of course, of course you learn it because you just get immersed in it day to day. And it just, then it becomes just part of your everyday psyche. Yeah. So same principle, I guess, when you've got to turn a, you know, what has been a public space during the day into something completely different in an hour, everybody just goes, right, let's do it. It's incredible, isn't it? I've always, um, I've always wanted to witness those huge events going out at Grosvenor House. You know, the dinners. I, I don't know what the capacity is. It's, it's like twelve hundred or something. It's the largest banquet, yeah. isn't it? That's right. And yeah. I don't know how many different um, kitchens they have sending that food. So if anyone's listening from Grosvenor House, I'd love to just go and watch that. I'm fascinated with the machine that is that, you know, that that catering provision. Yeah, just to go and watch I had. That. I was- Lucky friend of the show, if you're listening, Mr. Coggins, uh, the managing director of Goodwood Estate uh, Entertainment and Hospitality. Uh, I was down at Goodwood for the Festival of Speed last year with my brother. And um, Andrew very, very kindly gave us a, you know, a money can't buy, but nobody would want to see it unless you work in hospitality anyway, behind the scenes tour. And um, and they sh- he showed us the, the big event tent that they had out for all the VIPs that are there through that week. And they were doing the, the major dinner that night. I forget the numbers, but I think it was around a thousand people and and then you go behind the front bit into where all the the meals are prepped and actually i was thinking to myself i mean yes it's quite a long vast space they had different stations doing exactly the same things all the way down but i remember thinking it still doesn't feel that big Mm -hmm. like in terms of how if you've got a thousand meals to get out starter main course dessert you know plus other little vip bits it was quite, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to this sort of stuff. I'm a little bit obsessed with the inner workings of how stuff works. Yeah, yeah. Especially at that level. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think because events, um, when I moved to events, I was kind of self-taught. Um, when I went to Tate from the Royal Society of Arts, you know, I, I joined just before Tate Modern Open. So I kind of mobilised the events business. So I'd gone from working in a venue where the maximum capacity for a dinner was 120 to a venue where it was, you know, multiple events on one night with a capacity of sort of 400. And obviously in a venue that wasn't a purpose built event venue. So I was sort of self-taught. So I'm I'm always really keen to see how it should be done. Because, <laughs> you know. Yeah. We did it, and we you know, we did a good yeah. job. But is this is this how other people do it? I don't know. 
but um yeah, yeah but that's it's also how you learn as well right when you take you take things forward with you and i've had conversations uh long before this podcast existed with people who you know they, they manage a five-star hotel in the the middle of the countryside and they you know the, the pinnacle of five-star country house retreats and you know they'll go on holiday and to wherever they go on holiday and they'll come back with something that they, they just saw in action and thought well that would be great if we could implement something like that here and that's that's the wonderful evolution of hospitality isn't it oh absolutely i mean i'm sure um so many of us have brought back ideas from holidays i certainly do you know actually i was in berlin in december and you know went to quite a few of the christmas markets but there were food there were there were street food that i'd never seen before so my entire you know all my photos on my phone are just full of all these different food offers food concepts that i think yeah this would absolutely work um mm. next december within our workplace restaurants let's you know let's do these uh, these german pop-ups there's some you know some incredible stuff yes lederhosen encouraged <laughs> very trendy. it's very trendy apparently yeah 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 absolutely and get an oompa loompa band in or whatever you call them I can't, i'm not sure if that's the actual term but um anyway yeah so uh there's also there was an incident with the queen i mean you can't go on a podcast and yeah. i don't well can you talk about this because do, do you get thrown in a jail somewhere i won't get thrown in a jail it was just <laughs> uh it was a bit of a, a mortifying moment when uh this was the opening of tate modern and we'd been fully briefed on what drinks to have on a tray that was just for the queen or her majesty to be offered when she arrived um and i remember that we had a special briefing on royal protocol for all of the staff working that day and we'd selected a waiter who was going to hold this tray because he was just amazing you know he was just the loveliest hardest working the smiliest waiter it just happened that he missed the briefing because i think i sent him off on an errand so he missed the briefing so he was holding the tray with her her three different drinks choices on and um as she approached him she said oh is this for me? And he he was lovely and polite, and he nodded and said, "Yes, Queen." <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, "Oh no, am I am I going to get in trouble for that?" But I think she, I'm sure she saw the funny side of it. I don't know. Well, you have to think that she must see that. <laughs> like nobody's perfect, right? And you can't go through all the people and events that she must go to, and everybody doing the same. And actually, I have a story as well of, of myself oh, doing it's a something. Like, with the yes, <laughs> it wasn't me holding the drinks, but uh, um, when we launched uh, the Aurora uh, with P&O, yeah. a, a member of the royal family comes to, to launch the ship, uh, and we had Princess Anne. Uh, and so the way that it worked is they do a tour of the ship through all the departments. She comes and says hello to some people, and then they go and do the ceremony, uh, You know, which is when, when they smash the, yeah. the, the champagne on the bow. Uh, or It didn't smash in our case, but... And um, we had the briefing, all the etiquette that we were taught, etc., all the things that you're not supposed to do and all of that. And one of the things that you're not supposed to do is put, put your hand out to them to, you know, to shake it, uh, as it were. So I had this all in my head. And, uh, of course, what was the first thing I did as soon as she came back? <laughs> and people, people think to yourself, is he doing that because I was 22 years old at the time? Is he doing that just to be a pest? Yeah. Or, or, you know, and no, I genuinely, I had, as soon as I, done, I did it, you're kind of all in then, aren't you? You've just got to go with it. You, you can't just... you got to go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But um, yeah, her and I don't see eye to eye anyway because I, that's it's the second event in my life where I've met her. And the uh, the first time was uh, when I was still at school uh, on the island of Tyree. And she came over to open a facility for underprivileged kids that they had launched on the island. And I was part of the, the musical fanfare 
uh, playing the accordion for her along with four other people. And she spoke to every one of them except me. Oh. So I've always had an axe to grind. <laughs> you yeah. just got that memory. I have yeah. got a story of Princess Anne as well, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's coming out of this podcast very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I'm not going to say what venue, but we're in the middle of a dinner and the fire alarm went off and it was raining. We had to evacuate. It is, as a caterer, your worst nightmare. We had to oh, evacuate. God, I and um, I did offer for her to just not have to go out in the rain and just stay within, you know, the porch. And she said no. And she went out with all the other guests in the rain, black tie dinner. I mean, yeah, that was, that was, but, you know. See, that's a redemption story. That's that's good leadership, that is. That's that's what you look for. What is it? Leadership seat last, but they also go out into the rain with everyone else. I know, but I I, I think she's amazing. And I think that just sums her up, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes. Well, anyway. um, Stories. Yeah, well, you know, I'd love a story. I love, but this is the this is one of the reasons this podcast exists in the first place is because how many times you sit with somebody and have a, a chat about their life and times, and and actually it's the stories that are the memories, right? They're the the, the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, of uh, of everything that you do. But um, even the 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 bad stories are generally there because they've taught you something. Yeah, you know, and then you remember these other things that are just they, they just make you feel good because it was a fond time of your life or, or whatever it is so yeah it's the, the stories for me are the things that give real power yeah my fire alarm story is an absolute lesson in taking the just you know I could have overridden the business the um, building management system because we knew it was a false alarm and I didn't so there you go lesson learned right, right. yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not say what venue it was nope that's fair enough <laughs> good stuff um yeah so we haven't quite finished your your journey so far so uh, you were at the National History Museum. Did I pick that up right? I didn't actually write that down. It was just what was in my head. Yeah, um, that's yeah. What uh, what happened next? So that um, so because of the sales element of my role at the NHM in in terms of heading up the venue sales team, that's how I then went into sales within contract catering. So I was selling selling the venue completely different to selling contract catering within London workplaces, but somehow I was offered the role by Vacheran to go and sell um, contract catering. And that's how that's how I ended up in the sector that I'm now in and I now absolutely love. So, you know, my background was food and drink. I'd, I'd had experience of sales. So just bringing those two elements together. And yeah, so I was with Vacheran for nearly five years as commercial director. So heading up sales and marketing and then went to Bennett Hay as business development director. And I was um, I was selling for Bennett Hay for a year and a half when Robin and Anthony offered me the MD role. And actually, it's quite when I look, it's quite common for business development directors to move into um, really? the MD right. role. There's quite a few um, of our, the, the companies within our sector where the MDs have actually gone that route rather than directly from kind of operations director's role to MD. Yeah. I think... To be a business development director, I would say that the majority of BDDs have come through their hospitality career in an operations role. And it's having that operational knowledge has enabled them to then sell the solution to clients. So it's not, you know, I think, you know, it's quite, it's clearly quite a natural progression to go from sales into, um, you know, managing the business. So it, you know, it was the route I went was never planned but then I don't think any you know having spoken to you this afternoon 
I think quite clearly it shows that <laughs> I don't know that I ever really planned my career. It, it just happened. I just sort of, each step I erred towards um, the elements within hospitality that I loved and that I was good at. And, you know, I, I've probably gone sort of the ops to the more creative side with sales and, and then sort of back to, you know, MD, which is a bit of everything, isn't it? So Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you, did you have that, thinking back to that time where you stepped up into GM, did, was there any imposter syndrome this time? Or did you feel like, um, no, I'm, I'm ready for this? Or a little yeah, bit I did feel I was ready for this. And I thought, um, I think having drawn on my experience of that imposter syndrome I felt back then, I thought it wasn't, I didn't have the arrogance, I hope, to think that, you know, I'm absolutely, you know, fully fledged, ready for this role. But I knew that I, there's people I can draw on. And, you know, it was always, it was always the conversation with Anthony and Robin that as I stepped into this new role, they were there as my mentors and the year on they continue to be my mentors. So I think, um, I don't think I had imposter syndrome. I think I recognised there were definitely gaps. You know, I'd never overseen the accounts team before. So that was a gap, you know, just getting your head around um, the governance side of things of a business, Mm. you know, the tax return, all those things, you know, insurances all those things that you know yeah, the really, fun side yeah the really fun side but you know I love <laughs> it's that. fun for somebody fun for somebody so I do find it quite fun <laughs> yeah but, um yeah that's the difference the not the imposter syndrome syndrome but the recognition of where the gaps were but that yeah. then the help was there or or how do I go about my learning you know finding that information um yeah yeah, but I think that's a great lesson in itself is that, you know, and, and that comes with maturity. And I'm not talking about maturity in age terms. I'm, I'm talking about... Very kind of you, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Very generous of you, I should say. <laughs> it's, um, you know, is, is this recognition and equally, you know, hats off to your, your owners as well for, I suppose you, you ha- you've had open conversations and they would know where your gaps are. Uh, as well as you knowing where your gaps are because you know you're you're working with each other on a day-to-day basis and you seem to have a really great working relationship so that's again we're coming back to the point of somebody is taking well I suppose in some ways from the outside looking in might be a punt but it actually it just seems like it's a really natural progression a natural step and that's with that maturity that you have knowing that you don't have xyz you can then work on filling in xyz yeah and in a, you know every company has its culture and the fit for us is just as important as you know the technical skills and um i guess you know i'd, I'd worked with robin and anthony for a year and a half it was clear that you know i was very aligned with the culture of the business and hopefully i was the right fit so i think you know that's hugely important in in our business our culture is everything to us yeah. um and our values which you know we we hold we really do hold dear and, and we look for people that really live and breathe those values we know that we can develop and invest in people and in their personal um and their technical development but what's really important is that you know is that those, those values and um their commitment to our business yeah absolutely so let's talk about your business because we, we you know we've not known each other that long and in fact we we got to know each other because we're both uh, committee members for the London branch of the IOH but your, yours was a company that I hadn't heard of until I met you so um, what where is your sweet spot so to speak in terms of you know what what itch are you scratching within the within the world 
Um, our sweet spot is our, the fact that we specialise in workplace catering and um, we're, we're very much London based. So for us, it's workplace catering and running our clients receptions on their behalf. And a lot of our competitors um, have diversified into education, healthcare. We're sticking to what we know, and that is through and through workplace catering for some really prestigious corporate clients. And there's so much happening in London. So many businesses are moving offices, either downsizing, upsizing, diversifying. There's a lot of M&A going on with our um, potential clients. So it's an absolute melting pot at the moment of opportunity within our, you know, within the area that we we specialize in. So we're going to stick to really developing our our food and reception offer for for workplace clients. And the, the, the spaces we work in are phenomenal. You know, mm. some of the, the facilities, the kitchen facilities, the front of house facilities, hospitality suites, the more and more rooftop terraces. It's lovely. They are such lovely environments to work in. And we've got some really fantastic, supportive clients really looking to push the boundaries, looking for innovation, you know, looking for really bespoke solutions. So that's really exciting, you know, just be to be approached to say, you know, you don't have to stick to the traditional workplace catering rule book. What can you do for us that's different, that absolutely fits our dynamic, fits the demographic of our workforce? How can you help us encourage people back to the office? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. not so much on Fridays I think we're all accepted Fridays are, aren't ever going to return to what they were but definitely you know Monday to Thursday what can we do to make the workplace a really amazing experience and that's yeah. really well, I sort of say that Thursday is the new Friday right in terms of when you go you look around the city and the pubs yeah. are heaving on a Thursday night maybe a little bit less so than they used to be on a Friday night yeah yeah and Wednesdays Wednesdays are heaving as well Right. and Tuesdays day. and Monday. Yeah, well, yeah. why not? No, why not? <laughs> We're not in January anymore. Let's go for it. But no, um, indeed. Yeah, so that's us. And um, we are, you know, we're we're still independent and we're 13 years young. So we've got that experience under our belt. So yeah, it's great. And it's, you know, we, we've got some fantastic people in our team, some really creative people, some really talented chefs and some phenomenal managers, many of whom have come from restaurant and hotel backgrounds. So they bring that, you know, those standards with them to our workplace. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were talking about this before we turned the microphone on around the fact that it, it's almost one of hospitality's best kept secrets, I yeah. think, is that actually the the standard of, of cuisine that you guys are producing um, within, you know, lots of your contracts in various different ways is without question Michelin standard. I mean, I even saw that um, a little bit firsthand when I dipped my toe into contract catering myself 20 odd years ago or whenever it was and uh and then the director's dinners that we were doing for the uh the company that we were um working with you know the, the standard of the food that was coming out was just exquisite mm. and yeah so I, we we probably don't talk about that enough as yeah. an industry or maybe it's maybe they'd like maybe you guys like being the best kept secret in hospitality <laughs> no because um you know we need to shout out about it more because we really, you know, we have the capacity to attract some really great staff. We've got um, a general manager, Ian, at one of our law firms. He came from um, a Michelin star restaurant background and he took a leap of faith in joining the contract catering sector. And he is just blown away by it. He's got an amazing head chef, amazing hospitality team and cafe team. And he's absolutely loving it. And, um, you know, shouting about it to all his previous colleagues from 
you know, from his restaurant background, he said, you know, mm. I am serving this, you know, the same or better standard of food to some really appreciative clients. And I'm working Monday to Friday, you know, he's, he's, he's planning his wedding. He said, I get home in the evening, I see my fiance, I can spend weekends planning the wedding. He's like, wow, this is amazing. You know, yeah. <laughs> he just had no idea. So I think, you know, in the same, it doesn't have to cross, we don't have to cross sectors, you know, in one direction let's have more of this because there's so many different skills out there let's really encourage this this cross-sector kind of pollination really because it's it's you know it's been really really successful yeah well i mean ultimately we're all in this together right at the risk of sounding like a politician um uh, you know the the industry is stronger as one rather than uh, you know mixed up little components uh, or or tribes clans absolutely let's attract people to the industry as a whole and then let's you know help people find the sector that's right for them and that suits them um and meets their needs yeah here here absolutely yeah god we're solving some problems today (laughs) look at us (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely great stuff well i'm eminently conscious of time Uh, the time has flown but so our last question to you before i let you get on with your life Uh, what would be your your three reasons as to why somebody should come into hospitality i mean we've covered a lot Mm. I think anyway through the conversation, but uh, I suppose to summarise. Yeah, I think we've talked about the variety of opportunities that are available. So for people coming in, don't just think that working in hospitality is working front of house, you know, at the cold face of, but I mean, why wouldn't you love that? But it isn't, if you do think once you've gone into hospitality, oh, I've got, you know, I love working with numbers. I love understanding the whole accounting side of it or the CSR or health and safety or marketing. You know, there is so much variety within the one sector. Literally take your pick of what area you want to specialise in. Secondly, I think the flexibility, how hospitality, how your career can absolutely shift and mould around what your needs are, whether that's part-time, full-time, the hours, the days, you know, the nature of the work. There's a really flexible solution there. And I think thirdly is the people. Honestly, we are such a diverse industry and the people you meet will do become your friends for life because you work hard together. And I think when you do enter it at quite a young age, I mean, I'm not saying we don't have fun anymore. Of course we do. But um, the friends I worked with in my 20s in hospitality are to this day some of my best friends now. Um, those of us that opened Take Together, we it was it was a full on time. Take Modern was far more successful than anyone ever anticipated. And we I can't you know how we got through it sometimes. But, you know, I'm still 25 years later, that group of us that we're on the opening team for Take Modern, are firm friends and will remain mm. so. So I think it's the people, you know, you just meet such characters, such lovely people. I could, I could not agree more, I, I, I think, as well, because you kind of, you succeed and fail together, right? And uh, and that's it. You can't help but build bonds with people when you're, when you're doing that day in, day out. These are, I suppose, the bonds of war um, is the phrase, I think, that, that you use because, you know, there's successes and failures in every single business that you ever work in. So, yeah. That, I, it, Sorry, yeah. I think having a shared passion for food and drink always helps, doesn't it? For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's at the heart of everything for me. Absolutely. Um, but, um, no, superb. If uh, people want to reach out to you to chew the fat with you, learn about your business or, or just generally uh, reach out to you, what's the best method for them to do that? Yeah, drop me an email. I'm always happy to share that. It's zoe.watts at bennetthay.co.uk. 
anyone thinking about um, joining hospitality, thinking about a shift in career within hospitality, I'm happy to chat to anyone if, you know, and if I can offer some advice, of course, please reach out. You're a legend. Zoe, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to, to learn a bit more about your story and uh, wish you guys all the very best with the year ahead and beyond. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Phil. No worries. Take care. And there we have it. A great journey from Zoe so far with some cracking stories throughout, also highlighting how flexible this great industry can be to your personal needs, something we haven't really spoken about on the show so far. We will, of course, be back next Wednesday with another wonderful story from hospitality. So until then, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.